Chapter thirteen of Thou Art the Man. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Thou Art the Man by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. Chapter thirteen. Grudged I so much to die? Now, said sibyl when she and urquhart were walking along the wind-blown path toward the inn where she had left her maid now mr urquhart what is the first thing to be done he was astonished at the firmness of her tone the air of resolute courage in so young a girl a girl who had never before been brought face to face with crime or danger a girl who in the circumstances might have been forgiven had she abandoned herself to hysteria in her own room instead of being here under the dark night sky ready to dare anything for the man she loved you must be very fond of him he said grudgingly or you never would have come to this place to-night i am very fond of him and i no more believe that he killed poor marie with a stifled sob than that i was walking in my sleep in the wood and that this hand of mine had killed her there was someone else someone who will be found and brought to justice in god's own good time perhaps but god's own time may be soon enough to prove his omnipotence yet not to save an innocent man's neck I did not think you would care so much for him as to trouble yourself what became of him. I am sorry for having so mistaken in you, Mr. Urquhart. I thought you hard and worldly, caring for no one but yourself, but the hour of tr trouble has shown the best side of your nature. Oh, one can't help feeling sorry for a man in such a fix as that. What you and I are going to do may be a risky thing, but if we can get him off safely, well, it will be a life saved, most likely, for I don't think the verdict would be anything less than willful murder. You and I may know that if he did the thing he did, he did it in an interval of aberration, but there is no evidence to show that he was ever out of his mind and the theory would hardly hold good with a jury and even with the home secretary afterwards nothing would ever make me believe him guilty ah that's a woman's way of looking at the matter you love him ergo he can do no wrong even in a moment of lunacy there would be a special providence to keep him straight another man as good a man might give way to an irresistible impulse of jealousy and anger the impulse to destroy the creature he loved best in the world perhaps such things have been but no such a thing could happen to your lover there was an offensive tone in that last word which passed by sibyl like an idle wind she was supremely indifferent about mr urquhart's opinion of her conduct she thought of him only as she might have thought of a paid servant who promised to be useful in a dire extremity 
The road along which they were walking skirted the face of the cliff, and ascended toward the village, which was a little way inland, and on higher ground than the Coast Guard station and lock-up a long straggling village of pitmen's houses with an inn at each end and a rustic shop here and there the houses were better built than most pitmen's houses and the village boasted a workmen's club and a reading-room and an infirmary while about half a mile off in a rustic lane backed by the woods which joined ellerslie an old grey stone manor-house had been fitted up as a convalescent home where the pitmen and their wives and children were provided with rest and care after any serious illness or any accident of their trade. The lock-up was away from everything except the Coast Guard and the constable's cottage close by. It had, no doubt, been found that, with the Coast Guard on one side and the constable on the other, this village jail was tolerably secure as a temporary place of durance tell me what we have to do sibyl said presently we have to get your friend clear away before daylight i have been thinking about it since we left him the only thing to be done is to get him on board a fishing smack which will land him somewhere along the coast the farther from here the better when he is on board, he can change his clothes for a spare suit of fishermen's, which can be ready for him, and his own things can be stowed away or thrown overboard. When he sets foot on land again, he must appear as a rough sea-going man, whom no one will think of identifying with the missing gentleman from Ellerslie. What you have to do is to get as much ready cash as you can scrape together, not less than two hundred pounds and bring it to me as soon as you possibly can. I shall wait for you and the money at the fisherman's rest, the inn at the other end of the village, not the Higginson Arms where you left your maid. And while you are getting the money, I shall be making my bargain with the men who are to find the boat and trying to secure Coxon, the constable. I have my own account at the Carlisle Bank, my father opened an account for me on my last birthday. I can write any checks you want. Checks are of no use. The men wouldn't look at a check, least of all a coxswain whose conscience will have to be bought. You must get me gold or notes. It will be difficult. I could only get them from father. Then you must appeal to your father. This is a matter of life and death, remember and we have only three or four hours. When tonight is gone, our chance will be gone. I know, I know. Yes, it must be done. My father must help me. They parted on the threshold of the Higginson Arms, commonly spoken of as the Arms, a house with certain pretensions, and which had been known to accommodate an occasional tourist, a low stone house with a parlour that was the pride of the landlady's heart and whose chief ornament was a monstrous and stony-looking stuffed salmon in a glass case here in contemplation of a round table furnished with a large assortment of pious literature sat miss higginson's maid farraby yawning dismally 
she started up at her mistress's entrance la miss i thought you was never coming back said ferriby who had been promoted from the village school to attendance on sir joseph's daughter it's half-past eleven o'clock i can't help that ferriby we must make haste home now come along not a word said miss higginson to her maid during the hurried walk through the lane and across a field to a gate which opened into ellerslie park it was a long and lonely walk under a threatening sky and ferriby with the vivid remembrance of last night's horror felt as though the air were thick with ghosts they heard the stable clock striking twelve before they came to the side door near sibyl's rooms the key of which door was in ferriby's pocket it will be daylight at four thought sibyl only four hours she was glad to see the lighted windows of her father's study and to know that either he or andrew orlebar was still up shall i get you some lemonade and a biscuit before you go to bed miss asked the maid you must be dreadfully tired after that long walk nonsense ferriby you know i think nothing of such a walk i don't want anything and i'm not going to bed just yet but you can go as soon as you like i shan't want you any more to-night not to brush your hair miss i should like to give your hair a good brushing that might be a relief to your poor head no no there is nothing amiss with my head oh miss i don't believe there can be a head in this house that doesn't ache after what we went through last night and ferriby burst into tears go go cried sibyl imperiously do you think tears can do any good they can't bring her back whimpered ferriby but they ease an aching art let me take your at and scarf miss at least no haven't i told you to go to bed don't worry me ferriby upon being thus cruelly snubbed went sobbing upstairs she was a year or so older than sibyl who had taught her in the sunday school and whom she adored this was the first time her young mistress had spoken so unkindly who can wonder at it whimpered ferriby we're all of us unhinged sibyl went to her father's door and found it locked as it had been earlier in the evening sir joseph had been in that room all day so far as sibyl knew there had been no family meeting at dinner mr urquhart had sat at table alone under the searching eyes of butler and footman and as reported by those attendants had eaten about as much of each course as would lie on a shilling and yet he looked cool enough and hardly a bit cut up said the butler grief in the servants hall was more demonstrative but did not show itself in loss of appetite father i want to speak to you pray let me in it is about something urgent she heard her father cross the room with a heavier tread than usual he unlocked the door and she went in and father and daughter stood for a few moments looking at each other in the lamplight sir joseph's eyelids were red and swollen his swarthy skin was livid and his whole aspect bore the marks of a 
complete abandonment to grief sibyl put her arms around his neck and kissed him with compassionate love dear father i am so sorry for your grief i know how dearly you loved her not so dearly as i ought to have loved her sibyl i made her a dependent in my house only a humble dependent that is a bitter thought sibyl now that she is gone gone from us by such a cruel fate my god my god his hands clutched distractedly at his hair he sank down into the chair where he had been sitting when sibyl came to the door and the iron-gray head was bowed over the table amongst the scattered papers which his trembling hands had tossed here and there in the vain pretense of attending to the day's business dear father you denied her nothing she was like my sister you can have nothing to regret in your conduct to her you are all goodness you don't know child don't talk to me about her it hurts me to hear you talk of her the blow has fallen and i must bear it father i want you to answer one question do you believe that brandon mountford murdered her no i do not no in spite of the damning evidence against him no for a man of his character and his lineage my dear wife's race such a deed must be impossible i cannot believe him guilty though every circumstance points to guilt no i believe she was sacrificed to the malignity of some ruffian who had a grudge against me against you father why all your men adore you no sibyl there are always black sheep however popular an employer may be he is never without enemies if i have been a good master to good servants i have been hard as iron in my dealings with bad subjects i have made examples when they were needed i should never have held my own with that rough lot if i had been afraid of letting him have it hot when they tried to get the upper hand it's likely enough that some vindictive devil struck at me through her through my poor innocent girl thank god for one thing there were no signs of a struggle the villain's knife took her by surprise three swift blows from the savage hand no struggle no time for terror and agony death sudden death only death the large muscular hands were strained across his eyes and the stooping shoulders were shaken by the violence of his sobs my poor girl caught like a lamb in the clutch of a tiger but it was death swift and sudden it might have been worse sibyl knelt by his chair clinging to him leaning her head against his arm trying to comfort him by mute sympathy a love that needed no words when the storm was over he looked down at her kindly but with a far-off look as if he hardly knew her you wanted something he said what was it i want you to give me some money father a good deal 
at least two hundred pounds in cash i can give you my cheque for the full amount i have drawn very little of the five hundred pounds you paid into the bank for me on my birthday but i must have two hundred to-night in notes or gold her father looked at her wonderingly but with the look of a man whose troubled brain is only dimly impressed by any circumstance outside the point upon which all his thoughts are centred i don't understand what you could want with so much money he said is it for someone in distress yes for someone in great distress surely to-morrow would be time enough no it must be to-night how impulsive you are just like your poor mother there's some money in that drawer the drawer with the key in it some notes that were brought me this morning nearly three hundred pounds some of my march rents take what you want and go i am better alone this muddled head of mine can't stand the strain of talking to anyone not even to you he rose and walked up and down the room while sibyl knelt in front of his writing-table and opened the money drawer the notes were of various denominations and it took her some minutes to make up the sum she required and then she went to her father kissed him silently and left him with a murmured good-night she met his faithful secretary creeping out of the billiard-room where there was a solitary lamp burning you will look after my poor father won't you mr orlebar he is in a sad state of mind yes i am waiting for him i hope i shall get him to bed presently he was up all last night it is killing work for a man of his age i wish you could stay with him miss higginson you might help persuade him to take some rest no no he doesn't want me sibyl answered hurriedly as she went toward the lobby that opened into the garden she had not taken off her hat or jacket andrew orlebar looked after her wonderingly as she vanished into the darkness of the corridor that she should be leaving her father when her presence might have been useful to him was strange in so affectionate a daughter that she should be dressed for walking at that hour of the night was even more surprising while he stood thinking over her conduct he heard the lobby door shut blown to by the wind which was just beginning to rise the door had slipped out of sibyl's hand while she was trying to shut it noiselessly the sky was moonless and starless and there was a fine drizzling rain falling scarcely more perceptible than dew and it was not till she was near the end of her journey that sibyl near knew the penetrating capacity of that fine rain but by that time her thin cloth jacket was wet through there was a light burning in a lower window at the fisherman's rest but the door was shut and sibyl stood for a few moments wondering whether she ought to knock when she saw a bright red spot travelling toward her along the dark road which proved to be the lighted end of urquhart's cigar you have been very quick he said as he came to her have you got the money yes two hundred pounds in notes 
Twenties, tens, fives, answered Sibyl, handing him the packet. Capital. You are a brave girl, and you may congratulate yourself in the days to come upon having saved Mountford's life. I have made my bargain with three of the best men in the village. They have a good boat, and they will be able to land him wherever he likes between here and the bonus. They will be ready to start before daybreak. One of them will be waiting on the beach with a dinghy. I've made everything square with Coxon. It wasn't an easy business. And he is to have fifty pounds, an exorbitant price for giving the key of the door and being deaf and dumb till tomorrow morning. He has lent me the axe which, with which he chops his wood, and when Mountford is off, I am to slip the key under the door of his cottage, where I can find it in the morning, and I am to knock the door of the lock-up about, smash the lock, and so on, so as to give the idea of an escape by violence. And now I'll take you to Mountford, and it will be your business to get him off quietly, without any quixotic nonsense on his part, while I look after the men. Stay, you had better take him a couple of ten-pound notes. He may be without money, and you'll have to arrange with him where his goods and chattels are to be sent. You can do anything with him, you see. You will succeed where I might fail. Remember, it is a question of life or death. Yes, yes, I know, and yet I may be doing him the cruelest wrong in urging him to escape. All the world will say he is guilty. All the world will think very little about him once he is dropped through. In the case of this kind, interest and curiosity soon die if they are not fed with the daily scraps in the newspapers. When Mountford has vanished and the funeral is over, this tragedy will be as if it never had been. Here we are at his door. Now, Sibyl, I leave you to manage him. When the men are ready, I'll come and fetch him. He unlocked the door and left Sibyl to go in alone. Brandon was sitting at the table in the dim light of the smoky candles, his watch lying in front of him as if he had been counting the minutes in the weariness of waiting. He started up as she entered and clasped her hand and lifted it to his lips. My darling, why are you about at such an hour to think that you should care for me so much that you should be here in this wretched hole, you, in the dead of the night, caring and thinking for me, robbed of sleep and rest and comfort for me. I shall be able to better rest when I know that you are safe, Brandon. I offered you my love yesterday. Do you think I offered myself lightly to a man I cared about so little that I could stop at home idle and content while he was in sorrow and danger? No, you could not think so badly of me. You know that whatever a woman can do, I will do. Bar the door with my right arm, like Kate Barlass, to keep out your enemies, if need were. She smiled at him through her tears, smiled with love so irresistible that he caught her in his arms, and their lips met in a despairing kiss. My God, he cried. A man might live and die for one such moment as this. I am content, Sybil. 
no matter where I go or what becomes of me, however I may be tossed about in the tempest of life, cast on whatever strand, I must still remember and take comfort from the memory that you have loved me, and shall always love you, whatever may become of me. But now be reasonable, cool, clear-headed, and first take this money giving him the two notes what for because you may be wandering about for some time before you can get at your own money and you may not have much about you the change of a ten-pound check of which i have given a sovereign to my jailer mr urquhart was right then as to your wanting money mr urquhart is very thoughtful I don't understand why he should take so much trouble about me. It is surely common humanity in him. You and he have been companions and friends since you came to Ellerslie. Companions, yes. I don't know much about friendship. Mr. Urquhart has always impressed me with the idea that he has only one friend in the world, the friend who goes under his own hat. You have been unjust to him, trouble brings out a man's better nature he has been intensely in earnest about you most energetic in helping you yes but why sibyl why brandon are you a cynic i know he is but i did not think that you are an unbeliever in other people's goodness an unbeliever when providence has sent an angel across my pathway no 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 sibyl I believe there are stray spirits from heaven who are allowed to visit this dull earth now and then in the shape of women like you. But I don't believe in the friendship of a Hubert Urquhart. It is his money you have given me? No, no, it is mine. I'm glad of that. She told him about the boat and that all he had to do was to wait quietly until Urquhart summoned him. The interval was not likely to be long. They waited longer than Sibyl had anticipated, waited with the rude wooden shutters open to the night sky, which was covered with ragged black clouds that foretold windy weather. The wind had been rising since midnight, and it had blown away the soft, imperceptible rain, and seemed to be blowing the stars about, only a few stars scattered wide apart in the dark canopy. "'I'm afraid you'll have rough weather,' Sybil said as she listened to the sobbing swell of the waves on the beach below and the shrill note of the wind. "'No, no, it won't be much, or, if it were, I have not far to go. I can be landed at the first sheltered spot.' The boat I am to sail in can hug the shore. No doubt the men know every inch of the coast between here and Bowness. They can land me where they like, as soon as they like. Not too near here. Remember, everyone will know you are gone tomorrow. You will be hunted for. Yes, like a hunted animal. A position of that kind does not enhance a man's sense of personal dignity. I am to wear another man's clothes to sneak about pretending to be something I am not. I must try to talk like a Cumberland fisherman, and must inevitably be found out. 
my speech will betray me he was walking up and down excitedly with suppressed impatience he had promised to do this thing but he hated himself for doing it he had as it were given his life into sibyl's keeping but he could but feel he was something less than a true man in allowing a woman to dispose of his fate he could but feel that the manlier course would have been to abide the issue of things to wait for the worst that the world's injustice could do to him or if he were in very truth a murderer would it not be better to let the law deal with him what joy or peace could he ever know upon earth while he was unconvinced upon that point while in his own mind it was an open question whether he had killed the girl there was but briefest speech during that long hour of waiting brandon paced up and down in moody silence all had been said that words could say between these two the story of hopeless love had been told sibyl stood by the open window watching those rainy clouds amidst which the rare stars glimmered a sky of evil omen it seemed to her sad eyes the dark ragged clouds grouped themselves into a funeral train and she shuddered as she thought of the dismal procession which was to leave ellerslie early in the coming week the first funeral which would leave those doors since her mother's death had taught her the inevitable end of all things human inevitable yes but not like this not as it had come to her adopted sister poor marie she thought i am so selfish in my sorrow for the man i love that i have no time to grieve for her grief will come by and by when he is safe safe but far away and when i shall have nothing to think of but the friends that are lost brandon looked at his watch many times during that interval of waiting half past two the first hour gone three an hour and a half your friend is slow in making his plans he said presently i fear you may be missed at home the whole household will run distracted if that were so no there will be no one to miss me i sent my maid to bed and came out by the garden door for which i have my own key no one ever locks that door we are not a nervous household at ellerslie quick footsteps sounded outside a key was turned in the door and urquhart looked in now he said all is ready look sharp it will be light in less than an hour come mountford brandon paused on the threshold sibyl went to him and put her hand in his simply confidingly god keep you and comfort you she said wherever you may go the words were low and fervent and had all the earnestness of a prayer my beloved if i get clear out of the trap that fate has set for me i shall owe you my life but it will be only a broken life without you come along said urquhart angrily 
don't stand there exchanging pretty speeches when every minute adds to the danger he took hold of brandon's arm and drew him across the threshold i'll come back for you sibyl when i've seen him safe on board no no i shall go home alone i want no one you had better lock the door no stay where you are until i get back he shut the door quickly as he spoke locked it and put the key in his pocket for god's sake don't leave her there said brandon she'll be frightened in that dismal den not she you don't know what a spirit that girl has i shall be back in ten minutes come along follow me down the path to the beach look out for squalls the track is narrow and ragged and a slip means death sibyl was not frightened but she was angry at being treated like a child locked in that miserable room with the burnt-down candles smoking and flickering on the dirty deal table and the rusty grating between her and the outside world why should urquhart have prevented her going back to ellerslie alone as she had come she hated the idea of his company for the homeward walk he would talk to her of brandon would discuss what had been done speculate upon his future and to hear hubert urquhart talk of the man she loved would be hateful he had been useful he had done things that she could not have done with all her her ardent desire to rescue her lover he had acted while she had talked he had the strongest claim upon her gratitude but she did not want his company to-night she walked across the room and looking toward the grating she was startled by the apparition of a face two faces peering in at her who's there she cried there was no answer but she heard footsteps scuttling off in the loose shingle and she felt assured that someone had been watching the thought was not a pleasant one she knew not how long or how often those unknown faces had been there strange unfriendly eyes might have been peering in at her at brandon even in that one moment of abandonment that kiss which meant parting and despair she welcomed the turning of the key in the lock and even urquhart's company was better than her own vexed thoughts is he safe she asked he is dancing gaily over the water in the mary jane with every thread of canvas straining in a favourable wind he will be in scotland before breakfast time at ellerslie and it will be his own fault if he doesn't take the first steamer that will carry him across the sea and so make a clean disappearance there has been someone looking in at the grating said sibyl pointing to the window and she described that brief vision of two inquisitive faces i'm sorry for that urquhart said with a vexed air i'm sorry anyone in the village should know that you are here sibyl was outside the door by this time and urquhart was examining the lock before beginning operations with the hatchet which he had brought with him i don't like the idea of being watched she said but as to their knowing i am here i don't think that matters perhaps not but your villager has an infernal long tongue and 
you don't want the whole neighbourhood magging about miss higginson and her interest in a possible murderer i will never admit that possibility and i don't care who knows that i am interested in him you're a plucky girl now just take a look around before i smash this lock and tell me if the coast is clear he had taken off his coat ready to begin work sibyl made a rapid circuit of lock-up and cottage and came back to the door all right all right and here goes he took a screwdriver from his pocket and tried to get the screws out of the lock but this lock was solid enough to have locked a fortress and the screws were embedded in rust he could not move them i thought as much he said the door couldn't have opened without violence now for a few artistic touches he hacked and hewed the woodwork round the lock sending the splinters flying and smashing the worm-eaten panel which sent out a cloud of dust and rottenness at every stroke five minutes work made a ruin of door and jam that will clear coxon's character he said and now to get rid of my tools he ran to the little garden behind coxon's cottage and disposed of the hatchet and screwdriver under a thicket of gooseberry bushes near the back door sibyl had walked some little way along the cliff path by the time he overtook her what a hurry you're in he said as he rejoined her there is nothing more to be done you are sure he got off safely i saw him on board the smack if the wind holds up as it is now he'll be far away northeast before noon there were ragged streaks of a pale cold gray in the east and the sea showed faintly livid under that first glimmer of dawn it was not a sky of pleasant omen and sibyl who had been reared on that coast and knew the signs of sea and sky saw the menace of a storm her hope was that foul weather might be slow in coming and that the man she loved might be safe on shore before the beginning of evil she had nothing to say to urquhart in the walk back to ellerslie and she walked her fastest partly because of that agitated state of mind in which it was impossible to walk slowly partly in her desire to escape conversation but at the door he stopped her with his hand upon her arm how you must love that man he said as if the ejaculation were the result of his brooding thoughts during the silent walk i do love him she answered turning to look at him i am not ashamed of loving him his father loved my mother before she saw my father's face fate parted them fate is parting brandon and me but i love him i love him as the best and truest man i have ever known except my father or am ever likely to know that sounds as though you had a bad opinion of my sex in general said urquhart with a sneering laugh i don't think you're all of you perfect but i'm not going to quarrel with you this morning mr urquhart for you have done a kind and generous thing and i am grateful you will have more reason to be when you find out 
how general the belief is in Mountford's guilt, and how strong the net which you and I have cut through. Sibyl went quietly up to her room, supposing that Urquhart would follow her example, but instead of going upstairs, he waited till the sound of her light footsteps had died away in the distance. Then he reopened the door by which they had entered, and went out again into the bleak morning, away at a swinging pace toward the road that led to the railway station, distant along three miles. He looked at his watch as he went out the shrubbery gate. Four o'clock. There is a train that will do for me at three minutes past five. End of chapter 13